This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. Uh, where are they? What happens next? And from my perspective, waiting is certainly no fun. We are almost through the mid-season break and we're, we're getting a little antsy for episode 10. It's time to discuss the first half of the season and get some thoughts on what we think is going to happen next. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome to the mid-season special of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. As always, it is such an incredible honor and privilege to sit here with you and discuss what has recently been called one of the top 10 most in-demand, on-demand shows of 2017. It's no surprise to us that Discovery is a huge hit and loved by millions of Star Trek fans, old and new throughout Terra Prime, and we have lots to talk about before January 7th and Episode 10. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and we thank you so much for joining us for this special mid-season spectacular. As always, this is the premier podcast to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about Star Trek Discovery. And this is the very first time in Star Trek history that we've had a mid-season break, so we felt it would be the perfect time to get some deep dives into what we've seen and what we would like to see going forward. And as always, when I say we... You know, it's my favorite part of the show when I get to welcome my best bud. I always trust him to enter the right coordinates for a spore jump if I were hooked up to the drive and engineering. He is my special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, it has been way too long since we've sat here and talked DSC. Wait, is it time to watch Discovery now? <laughs> Not yet, buddy. A couple more weeks. No. 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 Oh, sorry. Well, Dan, it's great to be here. Happy holidays. Yes. Um, as we record and drop this episode, we are almost to the uh, the end of December and in 2018, and we're we're getting closer to that uh, that that next episode, buddy. Oh, it cannot get here uh, quicker than uh, a warp jump, spore jump, whatever jump, because it has to get here quickly. But I think we have a very special guest to help us get through these lonely times during the mid-season break, don't we? We do. In these darkest hours, we have a great friend. He's the co-host of Mission Log Live and, of course, Lido Deck, a Love Boat podcast. But he's also the co-host of the Parsec Award-nominated Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, which Dan and I personally consider to be the gold standard in Star Trek discussion and analysis. He is our very dear friend, and we are truly excited he's joining us today. He's the lovely and talented John Champion. And John, welcome to Discovering Trek, my friend. Oh, man, you guys are so much nicer when you're recording. I know, right? uh, Yeah, yeah. Well done. No, thank you. That is that is a really kind introduction, and it is a huge pleasure to be here. Uh, mainly because, you know, selfishly, we're in this hiatus period as well with uh, Mission Log Live, and we do have plans to bring that show back. But we knew that we'd be taking time off during their mid-season, so it, it, it's nice to kind of get back into the swing of things and and talk about the show. 
Absolutely. We've had uh, we've had a few weeks where we haven't really talked about it very much uh, over on Trek Geeks and certainly not here at Discovering Trek because we've been taking a break. And what I think is great here talking to you, John, is you and I can actually talk about, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe being at a premiere in Hollywood, just the two of us a few months ago. <laughs> Rub it in his face a little bit for everybody to smile at. I don't know. This is a possible topic. There is nothing wrong with that night. <laughs> that was. Yeah, 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 there was. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah there no, was. I, I failed to. Uh, I failed to think of anything that could have improved that. No, yeah, no, still not coming to me. It was a. Per- oh, yeah, great. <laughs> Let's move along. <laughs> well, you know, if, if anybody else would like to tell Bill how awesome the premiere was in Hollywood that night, I think Bill himself might actually have some info on how they can do that. Right, Bill? Buddy? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Indeed I do. People can regale me with their, you know, premiere and, and blue carpet stories on, uh, on Twitter, at Discovering Trek. And of course, on Facebook, we can be found at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. There you can join in on the discussion, leave us comments, torment me with your pictures of the premiere, questions, suggestions, the whole nine. Plus, don't forget, you can also leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. But do remember that any comments you leave us may be used in an upcoming episode, Dan. Thanks, man. And to be honest, I, I got to say, there was something missing there that night, and it was you. It would have been perfect if you uh, had been there to join us, but um, maybe there'll be another one sometime. Anyway, guys, you know, let's get right into it. Uh, the first nine episodes had a lot going on, a lot of plot points that we saw during the first nine episodes. Uh, so let's go into a discussion about threads that we want to see picked up again. Any storylines that you saw that. Um, have not yet been revisited, but you want to see some of in the second half of the season. And Bill, I'm going to start with you uh, and see what you've what you've got for thoughts on that. So in the third episode, you know, the first one aboard the USS Discovery, they're conducting the prisoners from the transport shuttle to the mess hall. And we see a variety of things. We see lots of uniforms with silver accents and, and science badges, but we also see black badges and they get called out and there's a really nice close-up of one that made us all wish a Novos was going to start making those or, or QMX and they called them out and we haven't come back to that at all. And I, I feel like it has the potential to possibly be very interesting. Um, who are these guys? Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I wish, you know, we're, we're nine episodes in now. It makes me wonder if they're going to find a way to squeeze that in, in the remaining six. And then, the other thing I want to know and uh, is more about Lorca's menagerie. I mean, anyone that's got a room like that has some really deep, dark issues. <laughs> and we haven't seen much of that room since magic to make the sanest man go, go mad. And I feel like if that room could talk, it could tell, I don't know, a hundred stories. And I would love to know how Lorca got from who he was to who he is now. I think that would be a really fascinating story. Nice. I love the black badges aspect. I hadn't thought about that until you just brought it up. And I think when that first happened, we actually started instantly saying section 31, section 31. And, and as people who've listened to the show, we've pretty much been wrong on every prediction we've had so far, but uh, I agree. Good, good picks. Uh, John, what about you, mon frere? <laughs> what do you have uh, lined up for a plot thread? Well, I'll start out with a couple of things that I don't, want to see more of. Um, first would be Harry Mudd. And, and, and here's why. I loved him. 
I thought it was such a good introduction of that character, and I love that kind of standalone episode of him uh, uh, messing around with time. But I, I feel like they kind of completed that. They were done with him, and it was perfect. So I don't want them to go back to the well to feel like, oh, well, we, we don't know what to do this week. We don't know what to do that. Well, we'll, we'll just bring back Harry Mudd because people like him. Um, I feel like that was sort of a problem with the original series, and it sort of ran a little bit thin. So I want Harry Mudd to just sort of be locked away exactly where he is. I don't mean literally, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> literary speaking. Um, I just want to sort of leave him alone where he is and and just savor that we had a couple of great episodes with him. Um, and I, I'll say that I can stand a little less of Sarek. And here's the thing. Again, I love him. I love the character of Sarek. But I feel like we got that perfect, perfect taste of why he's there and the relationship that he has with Michael Burnham and how that informs the relationship that we got between Sarek and Spock. So I don't want that to be beaten like a dead horse. I, I think just leave it where it is. We got exactly what we needed out of that. Um I do want more Vulcans, though. I, I, I like the idea that we we have this sort of... Um, it's a little bit of that dark underbelly of the Vulcans we got in Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And a little more of that kind of seething thing going on with the, the Vulcans that we met in TOS with Sarek and what we got a little later on with them. So I, I just don't want them to overdo it. That That's the thing there. Now, what do I want more of? Well... Whatever is up with Lorca, and also whatever is up with Lorca and Cornwell. Um, and, and I'm going to come back to that when we talk about favorite moments. But um, I think that those are such intriguing characters, such an intriguing relationship with those characters. And the chess game Lorca is playing with everybody, um, that is what I want to see more of. So I can't wait until we get more of it. You know what's interesting what you said, John, about what you don't want to see, and and here's why I think I agree with you. Well, I do agree with you, but why I think we will not see Harry Mudd again. One of the things that I forgot to mention when we discussed that last uh, Harry Mudd episode was when his ship was leaving with Stella and her father, they had a beautiful musical TOS reference as the ship was departing, and I took that as a this is the last time you're going to see him until TOS, mm. and I hope I hope that's the right. case because right. I agree with you. Two two appearances by Harry Mudd in the first nine episodes. That's what's the percentage, Bill? I'm not good with math, but it's not that. It's not. It's that. a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot, lot percent. percent times two. Yes. <laughs> very, very, yeah. very good. Well, uh, for my plot points that I'd like to see revisited is you touched on it a little bit, John, and that's I want to see more about Lorca, but specifically I want to see a flashback episode that focuses on what happened on the Baran when he destroyed his own ship and mm. caused him to be in this state that he has been in for the first half of the season. I think it would be really great to see him not great to see quote unquote but see him giving the order to destruct his own ship with all of his crew aboard so that they don't get taken uh, captured by the klingons good call yeah saru uh, a lot of people know that saru is one of my favorite characters since the very beginning uh, of the series and we all know that he is the prey species on his planet uh i would love to see what the hunter species is and more so 
I want there to be some kind of a confrontation between that Kelpian and Saru to see what Saru's reaction is. We see how how his ganglia come out on on non uh, hunter Kelpians and some things that aren't even really quote unquote scary to most anybody else. I can only imagine what a hunter is on his planet because he's pretty badass when he gets mad. So I would love to see a hunter Kelpian. And uh, the last thing that I wanted to bring up as a plot point, and it's a little bit uh, towards what Bill said about Lorca's menagerie. And I agree. I want to see that because there's got to be a lot to tell. I mean, we've seen a Gorn skeleton in there. We saw a Cardassian vole, I believe. And we also saw a dissected Tribble, which was kind of gross. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is like Mengele stuff. So it'd be really great to see more about how those things got in there, why we don't know about them in the TOS era, and things along those lines. That's nice. what I'm hoping for anyway. But we'll see. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, Fansets has so many collectible pin offerings, aside from just Star Trek, if you can believe that. You can get pins from Alien or Harry Potter or uh, or Justice League, which recently was in theaters, or so many more from the DCU. And that's uh, the DC universe to the acronymically challenged members of the audience like Dan. But no matter your fandom, Fansets has just a pin for your favorite characters. Please head on over to Fansets.com. Check out their enormous library of products and accessories. Absolutely. And now that it's the holiday season, there's still time. Uh, There's a great deal going on over at fansets.com until Christmas Eve, December 24th. Uh, While you're at fansets.com, we invite you to add as many pins and accessories as you want to your cart. And when checking out, enter the code word TREK. That's all in capital letters. If you do that, you will get a whopping 20% off your entire order. And as always, orders over $30 receive free shipping. From the Fansets family to yours, have a very happy holiday season. Fansets, a set for every fan and a fan for every set. See their entire line at fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being the exclusive sponsors for the entire season of Discovering Trek. So, gentlemen, every week we normally break down the episode that we just watched for our thoughts on what it has taught us about our humanity. But we're going to make that a little bit broader for our discussion today. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. So, John, I'm going to start with you, and I want you to take the whole package from the first nine episodes and tell me, is there anything from a high-level perspective that this arc has shown you about ourselves? Yeah, you know, if anybody listening to this listens to Mission Log as well, they they know that this is a, a topic that Ken and I will talk about in that show. And we've also talked about um, when we've done stage panels at Vegas or, or, or any time it comes up. And that is sort of the big picture of Star Trek. What is the relative kind of optimism that it's trying to project? And then what's the statement about the human condition, about who we are as people and who we strive to be? And, and I think that is one of those enduring things about Star Trek, why people come back to it over 50 years, 50 plus years. And um, 
Ken and I are somewhat uh, of a different mind about it. Ken uh, really likes his Star Trek to be optimistic. We've gotten to the utopia. What do we do from there? And I, I kind of like the occasional reset where, where we see that things are great, but then what happens when we actually have to check that when something happens, when a hero like Kirk uh, is still racist after 25 plus <laughs> years, you know, it, it, something like that. And, and to me, yeah, it, it puts a chink in the armor, of course, but it also sort of says, all right, he, here's a hero, but it's a hero with flaws, and those flaws are human, so therefore he should be more relatable. So the story is about how he overcomes that and how, by proxy, we as the audience should be able to overcome that. So this is all preface to say that I, I think the thing that I'm getting in the big picture from Discovery is this you know, messy portrait that says, yeah, humans are complex and, and full of emotional and logical influences that don't always line up, that don't always jibe. And we can all be in the same boat of trying to do the right thing, and those things can still be entirely at odds. Um, I, I like that the show kicked off with some moral ambiguity. And I, I remember talking about this with Ken and Rod right from the beginning to say that, well, you know, if Captain Giorgio was right. Starfleet does not shoot first. Um, Michael Burnham was right. We will get our butts handed to us if we don't do something now. So they're both justifiable. Their motivation is believable. They both want to do what is right for each other and for their crews and for Starfleet at large. So I, I love it when Star Trek plays in dark, uh, sort of the gray areas, that it's not just the mustache-twirling villain, um, that, that you have something kind of meaty to, to handle, um, that that, that it, it's something to actually wrap your mind around and say, well, well, if nobody is actually 100% wrong and nobody's maybe actually 100% right, what what's the best choice given the information that we've got? This is something that we proposed about Lorca. We, we proposed a question on our show and just a simple straw poll. Lorca, good guy, bad guy? Yes or no? Well, the question was more complex than that because it wasn't just he's a good guy or he's a bad guy. It, it, it's actually asking, are the motivations still good, even if he's the bad guy? You know, even if he's not who he seems he is, even if we don't know everything that he's up to, is the end goal something that is actually worthwhile? Instead of just saying like, yeah, he's a mustache twirling bad guy. So th this is what I, I like about the big picture from the beginning. And, and actually, I'll let you in on a little insider baseball here. This is a conversation I've been having with Rod for a long time. Um, you know, I, I asked Rod what, what he thinks from time to time about the show. And he's very much of a, a, a point of view about that utopia of Star Trek and what is Star Trek's message about the better humanity. And... I think if you take Discovery episode by episode, you don't always get that. But you step back, and this is why you asked the big picture question here. Um, sort of like Westworld. If you pull one episode of that, what you see is a lot of nudity and killing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you step back and you let it run 13 episodes and you go, oh, wait a minute. 
they were actually saying some big stuff about the nature of humanity. Now, Westworld's point of view about humanity is very different from Star Trek's point of view about humanity, but it, it, it's a, a raucous, messy, complex way of telling that story. That's very interesting. Let me ask you a quick follow-up to that, because as you were talking, this popped in my mind. Do you think that the writers for the show are purposely doing what they're doing in terms of how discovery is not that utopia? The reason I ask that is because I personally have been of the belief that, you know what, this time frame that we're seeing discovery take place in is before Kirk and Spock and and Picard and everybody else. Um, and they had to get from a certain point to get to that utopia. Now, true, we've seen some of those slips from people like Kirk. And although I know you know nothing about a show that takes place after the next generation over a mission log, you're going to see some things happen <laughs> with certain characters that you're going to be like scratching your head, like, I don't know, poisoning an entire planet just to catch a bad guy. But I digress. Um, okay. So oh, wow. do you think that the writers have this in mind as they're writing these stories and the arc itself? That this is a different time frame. Sometimes we have to be messy before we can get to what is at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, and, and that that's the thought that I'm going to come back to again uh, later in our discussion because it's a note that I was kind of wrestling with for myself and mm -hmm. trying to figure out what this is all uh, adding up to. But I, I'll say it this way for right now. Um, when I go into a restaurant and I, I order something, um, I'm not the person who says, okay, uh, substitute this with this and change that for that and leave this out, but I want another order of this. You know, I'm not that guy. I, I walk in assuming that the chef has already figured out how to make that dish. And, and it's not up to me to then tell the kitchen how to do their job. So I kind of feel the same way about the writers on Discovery. I'm just starting from a position that they know Star Trek. Yes. And look, guys, we know that they know Star Trek. You're talking yes. about assembling a team of people who get it, right. right? Yep. But what I love is that they also want to surprise us, and they want to write some compelling, challenging TV along the way. So I'm, I'm good with that. And, and I've said it many times on Mission Log that I, I don't need Star Trek handed to me on a silver platter. I want to be challenged by it. And I want to figure out where it's going all along instead of just episode after episode after episode going down the checklist and saying like, yeah, they got that. Oh, they got that. Yeah, they got that too. So it must be Star Trek. There's no fun in that to me. Yeah, it's it's why why see a carbon copy every single week because we're certainly not mm -hmm. seeing that with these first nine episodes. Bill, uh, what about you, my man? Uh, big picture, nine episodes. It's It's a lot to take in, but I'm sure you got something for us. Well, big picture, I'm stunned that John Champion used a food metaphor <laughs> when describing Star Trek. That never happens on Mission Log. I just no, no never, ever. No. Yeah, I um, you know, John brought up a good point with uh, with, with the various shades of gray because you know that that's really what life is, right? And, and I think that the the front nine of Discovery have have really kind of shown me that humanity is just so perfectly imperfect. You know, it, the Star Trek isn't just about Michael Burnham discovering her humanity and and her being the stand-in for Spock or Data or Odo or, or Seven or whomever. I think it's about the humanity of all of these characters and how it's in such a precarious balance, almost as if it's it's on the verge of being lost for each of them in some way based on 
decisions or outcomes from other characters. And I found that sort of web kind of fascinating as, as we've gone through these episodes. Personally, for me, I found something in just about every character that is hit really just a little too close to home for me personally. And it's caused me to examine or, or relive times in my own life for reflection. And at, at times it's been uncomfortable. I mean, there are times on this show that I've said that, you know, Star Trek's always been a mirror for humanity. And at times we don't necessarily like the reflection that looks back at us. And that's probably when Star Trek is at its best. And I think that in this case, that's kind of what we want Star Trek to do. You know, at least it's what I want it to do. I don't necessarily need it to be uh, utopianized, but I, I do need it to examine the human condition at that level. And I think that big picture wise, I think that this arc has shown me that not only can this Star Trek do it, but I think it does it very well. And it, there are times when for me, it's it even does it slightly better than Deep Space Nine, to be honest. Yeah, I know that in in past episodes uh, of Discovering Trek, when it always seems that this section of the show is always the one that's the most you know emotional, and and there's a lot of strong uh, discussions going on. And you've had some very very uh, heartfelt thoughts about, like you just said, things that have happened in your life that the the episodes have made you think about and revisit. Very very powerful stuff. One of the things that I feel is. It's it's fortunate, but yet it's unfortunate is every week I seem to focus in on our current situation in the world today and how our humanity is is at a, a point where it's it's not very it's not very good in my opinion. And I always seem to reflect that this show shows us what we can do better, but at the same time it shows that some things are still happening. And by that I want to focus in on Captain Lorca for this for this part of, of the show. You know, it's it's painfully obvious to me and, and I'm sure to you guys and, and everyone else that he's got some some issues. He's dealing with a lot of a lot of things. Uh, we've seen it all season long from his attempts to hide those inner battles to his outward display of dealing with things to to his apparent sabotage of that last spore jump. This is obviously a man dealing with some tremendous demons Um he does not want to lose the captaincy no matter what. And it makes me think of how people today who are dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome are treated and thought of, and it really makes me sad. Uh, what we see things that Lorca is doing on the show, people are commenting on social media that, you know, he's crazy and he's a nut job and, and this and that. And people with inner demons are not crazy and they're not nuts. And I think we have to do a much better job of respecting what they're going through and not be so quick to judge. Um, I really, really well said. Uh, first of all, I believe it's sabotage. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Sabotage. <laughs> but, uh, but, but in all seriousness, yeah, that, that gets back to that central question about Lorca. Um, and it, 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 again, it's not just like, he's a good guy, he's a bad guy, he's this, he's that, he, he's from here, he's from... It's not about that. It's about what is going on in that psychology that makes him who he is. Um, and, and I'm I'm glad that they're leaving us in the dark about that, because, man, it makes him one of the most compelling characters we've ever seen in Star Trek. Oh, by far. Without a doubt. I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. The layers 
that he has shown us already. And you know there's going to be more layers that are going to come out. And I'm kind of afraid to see what those layers are going to be like. We've seen him so compassionate with the way he deals with Michael. You have to ask yourself, is that fake? Is it real? Is it just doing, you know, twisting things to be his bidding? He did the same thing with Stamets and and talking him into going on that last spore jump. I can't wait to see what happens uh, starting with episode 10 in just a couple weeks. Yeah. Okay. So we talk about the serious aspect of humanity. Now it's time to have a little bit of fun with some favorite moments. And uh, I think this section is self-explanatory. So, John, let's talk about uh, two or three of your favorite moments that have happened so far in season one they can be tiny things they can be huge arc moments uh characters scenes special effects it's all on the table for you big guy dude all right I, so much with tilly uh <laughs> because she's just awesome like th- this could have been a terrible character the everything that made us cringe about wesley you know, uh, they just they seem to get right with Tilly to create this super relatable, um, just wonderfully rich and realistic, very human character out of, you know, what, what could have been a lot of sort of superhuman characters around her um, ordering breakfast. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a food reference. There you go. There you go, guys. <laughs> Another food reference. But just ordering breakfast was great. That was such a terrific moment. Um, I also loved uh, the team coming together at the end of uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Uh, when they, they finally have undone mud, that that's a moment of everybody on the bridge just absolutely in simpatico, and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. And then, again, I'm going to go back to the Cornwell and Lorca thing seeing their relationship develop, but that moment when she realizes that something is wrong, she backs out of bed and Mm. he is begging that she not uh, uh, force him out of his command. It was such a change in Lorca. And with everything with Lorca, you have to ask, is this real? Is he playing them? What's happening here? But whatever it was, it was a beautifully played scene you just felt like every bit of emotion in it. Um, so I, th- that was a standout moment for me. It's funny. Can you repeat for me, John, what your first sentence was when you talked about Tilly? What exactly did you say? Did you have that written down? Or is that just off the top of your head? I was off the top of my head. But okay. uh, uh, honestly, the, the, the answer was there's so much with Tilly that okay. pretty much every moment with her, I think, is a standout <laughs> moment. Um, but particularly it's Tilly ordering breakfast. Okay. (laughs) Well, the reason I asked that is because this is what I wrote for my favorite moment. Just about every scene with Tilly. (laughs) Uh, You know, you, you hit the nail on the head. Mary Wiseman lights up every, every single scene that she is in. And I'm going to, I might piss off a few people when I say this, but I think my favorite Tilly moment is the F-bomb that she dropped in Choose Your Pain. Mm. I, I really do because although some people may not appreciate the scene, it shows the almost childlike awe that Tilly feels for this world of science and exploration. And to me, it was honest and it was a real-life moment, which is what I like to see in Star Trek. And we don't really ever get to see that. We get to see it now 
in Star Trek Discovery. I think she is brilliant. Um, and you're right. This could have been a disastrous character. And it has turned out to be one of the finest we've ever seen. I absolutely love Tilly. Yeah, I, it, I, I've gone back and forth about that, with dropping the F-bomb. It really startled me the first time I saw it. And when we put it out there, when Ken and I had our discussion on Mission Log Live about it, we heard back from a lot of people. And and I think there are wonderful arguments about why that scene, why that moment worked mm-hmm. for uh, for the people who are watching it. And I, they're not wrong. You know, I, I definitely agree with the reasons why it works. It, it, it still throws me a bit. Um, and look, you've heard me talk off air. You know, I have no problem with salty language. But um, but yeah, in that moment, it, it, especially the first time, it, it, it really threw me off. Uh, so I was glad to get the feedback and, and hear what other people thought about it. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm sure she's going to have more great scenes in the second half of the season. Um, That's my my funnest moment. The other two moments that I jotted down for favorite moments are both very tender moments. And and the first one is what I like to call the dance Uh, from magic to make the sanest man go man mad. Uh, It is a very special moment between Stamets and Burnham. And I got to say, one of the things that I love the most about that scene is that beautiful Discovery musical rendition of the opening theme for the, from the credits that plays in the background while they're talking and while they're dancing. It shows new sides to both Stamets and Burnham, and I think it was a perfectly filmed episode, the way the camera moved, uh, the way that they had that discussion. Just a great job by everybody involved. Uh, and the other tender moment that I just absolutely love was when the tardigrade was freed mm. and he came out of his cocoon and spore jumped away. Brilliant special effects, tender to see that we can still treat um, other life forms with the respect and care that we should be treating them with. And as Bill and I are huge dog lovers, that was a very big moment for me. And it just shows another fantastic job by the writing staff to put little things in there like that for people like us to appreciate. Nice. So, Bill, I'm sure that you've got a plethora of favorite moments because I know you love Discovery. Uh, indeed, I do. You know, I have to say that uh, regarding the F-bomb, just to come back to that for a second, I'm going to apply the champion rule to this. And that is every F-bomb in Star Trek is somebody's favorite. <laughs> and conversely, somebody's least favorite F-bomb in Star Trek. Brilliant. So, um, Dan, I have to agree with you. I adore the waltz between Burnham and Stamets. It's, it's a delightful scene. I think that Anthony Rapp's uh, portrayal in that scene just really kind of sells it. And I'm not going to lie. I would have waltzed with him and I don't even <laughs> dance. That's how awesome that scene is. Um, I also love the myriad of ways that Harry Mudd kills Captain Lorca over and over and over and over again, because it's a fun sequence. And I got to say, my favorite has got to be when Lorca gets beamed into space <laughs> and you see him on, through the view screen and he's just sort of <laughs> hovering there. He's like choking. It's fantastic. <laughs> Um, and then I have to say that my two, you know, uh, my favorite moments tied for the top are both Burnham moments and they're both very different reactions. Um, in the Vulcan hello, when Burnham is in her EVA suit, she ignites the thrusters to head over to whatever they've detected. And she starts to laugh and you see this expression grow on her face. Mm. And it is such a delightful scene that the wonder and the excitement of this process 
of exploring just really gets to her and touches her. I love that moment. And then conversely, there's the opposite end of the spectrum. The moment when Burnham is beamed back to the Shenzhou after Georgie was killed. And she's there on the transporter pad. And you can tell that she has just completely been eviscerated emotionally. And when I compare those two moments, it just it it really gives me a, a brand new appreciation for Sinequa Martin-Green. She's the right person to be in that role. And uh, absolutely my favorite moments of the season so far. Because we got more coming. Indeed. Indeed we do. Let me ask you this, guys. And this is a total tangent. But Bill, you just brought it up and I wanted to get your thoughts. How perfect was the casting? Not only for... for uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, but for everybody that we've seen, we've been talking about Lorca over and over and over again. What a tremendous job uh, is being done by not only him, but but Sonequa and Doug Jones and, and Mary Wiseman, as we talked about. And of course, Anthony Rapp is just superb. I, I could name everyone. We'd be here for 20 minutes. Do you think, and I, this may be putting you guys on the spot, has there been a bad casting yet? Because I don't think there has been, and I'm being completely honest. Hmm. John. No, I, it, it, this is a really tight cast. Um, I, I can't think of a weak link in the bunch. Um, you know, I, I will, I will say that this is my, uh, third favorite Sarek <laughs> uh, out of the Sareks that we have seen. <laughs> the, it, you know, uh, it, it, he's, he's not bad, but look, we, we had Mark Leonard, we had Ben Cross. This is very close to Ben Cross because it's only been just a few years. Ben Cross has the luxury of time that it's been a long time since we've seen Sarek uh, played by Mark Leonard. And even then, the last time we saw Sarek played by Mark Leonard was a much, much older Sarek. So, um, yeah, the, I, I, don't, I don't think he's bad. I think he's fine. It's just... Um, Man, those are some big shoes to fill. Mm. Um, and and this show has a big challenge whenever they bring back somebody that we know from another series, as they did with Harry Mudd. But look how good that casting turned out right. for a guy that doesn't look like Roger C. Carmel. <laughs> right. Um, doesn't dress the right. way that Roger Carmel dressed in that character, but but you, you just sort of buy it for some reason. Yeah, I, I can't think of what the weak links are, but um, I don't know, uh, Dan, Bill, maybe if you guys throw some out, maybe I'll agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, um, I don't think there are necessarily any weak links, but I have to say I, I've been really impressed by Shazad Latif. I did not know what to expect from Ash Tyler coming into the series because I wasn't familiar with any of Shazad's work, but he really has just blown me away. And He's, he's won me over. I'm a, I'm a big Tyler fan. I'm a big Shazad Latif fan now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I look forward to see what happens with that character uh, going forward. I, I think to me, he's been sort of the, uh, the, the undiscovered gem in all of this. I'm, uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what new characters come about uh, in the remaining uh, arc in season one, because I'm sure there's going to be some guest stars here and there, um, and it'll be very interesting. The reason I brought that up is because we're talking about all these great characters, and just this week there were some beautiful behind-the-scenes photos released um, of the of the cast during filming, and I just wanted to get to get your take on it, guys. So, so thanks for that. Long-range scan of planet complete. Well, 
anybody who has listened to Discovering Trek so far this season knows that Bill and I are just about 0 for 9 in what we think is going to happen. Every week we do a long-range scan, and every week we have gone down in flames. So we talked about threads that we want to see going forward, but let's take a few minutes and talk about specifically what we think is going to happen only in Episode 10, directed by Mr. Jonathan Frakes. Bill, I want us to be at least one for ten by the end of uh, of episode ten. So, so help me out here, man. Well, I'd like to point out that I'm at least consistent. Um, <laughs> and you know, when you're a ball player, even if you go over, you 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 pretty much want to do it consistently all the time. Um, so, uh, I like to think that I'm I'm a big winner. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to help you out this week, Dan, because my semi long range scan. I guess we probably call it a short range scan because it's episode 10. True. I think that Gabriel Lorca is not who he appears to be and possibly not of this universe. The more I think about this, the more I think that um, Gabriel Lorca is trying to get back to where he belongs. And that's kind of where I'm at. Mm. Oh, I've heard so many different um, twists on very similar thinking uh, i i might actually have something similar in a moment but before we do that before i get to mine john uh before you give your thoughts what do you think about bill's mirror universe guy is is Lorca from the mirror universe well look i mean that that's kind of the note that i had just saying well we're in a new universe now at the the end and, and i'm so glad that season nine or i'm sorry episode nine was the season break not episode eight, yeah. Yeah. as was originally planned. That that would have just been terrible. Um, but it, here's the thing. Wherever we are, I don't want to see a rehash of the mirror universe. Oh. I'm okay if we're in a mirror universe. They're, they're all mirror universes. They're all different universes. And if if Next Gen has taught us anything, there's a, there's a universe where uh, Worf is working busily on the bridge while uh, <laughs> Captain Riker is letting things explode around him and he's, he's got his hair tousled and it could be any number of universes with any number of other ships and other outcomes. Um, but I'm really intrigued with the idea that this crew will be faced with things totally outside of their current understanding. That's what's uh, intriguing here because we've had this one backdrop of we started a war now we have to go to these extreme lengths to try to end or get out of this war. But now they're in a place where that may not be on the table at all. Um, so this could take a big, big turn in kind of tone and direction, at least for that episode. Um, so I'm excited about that. But what I don't want is, you know, every other character with a goatee or a you know, a Terran Empire logo or so. Because, again, it's not that that stuff is bad, but it's been done and it's been done well. Right. So let's just sort of leave that alone and let's see if they can come up with a new spin on that that, that isn't just going back to the well. Interesting that both of you have chosen to discuss possible other universes. I have two words for my uh, semi-long range scan, and it is 
Mirror Universe. Oh, uh, the, the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they set it up perfectly in episode nine, talking about pockets of negative energy that could lead to other universes or dimensions. And Lorca purposely manipulated that last jump. And I think he's setting the coordinates for one of those pockets. He wants to stay in command. He's going to do everything he can to ensure that happens. So I think the nupple, I think the next couple of episodes, at least will be about the mirror universe. And I really hope I'm right. Some eagle-eyed fan online found a picture of the bridge and zoomed in on the dedication plaque and thinks it said ISS Discovery. So we shall see. Well, Dan, as we promised in our last episode of Discovering Trek back in early November, we are ready to give away some amazing prizes from our friends at Fansets. Oh, yes, we've been looking forward to this. As you may recall, for several weeks, we have been gathering your voicemails about your thoughts on the first half of Season 1 of Discovery. Uh, first of all, we want to thank everyone for sending us your messages. It truly is appreciated. And what Bill and I have done is chosen three random voicemails to be our winners from all of the submissions we received. And we're going to play those for you in just a moment. These three lucky listeners are about to score some amazing fan set Fan set swag. I cannot talk. <laughs> that never happens on this show. Dan, <laughs> you know, you said amazing. That really is the word for these prizes. Third place is going to receive a USS Discovery and a USS Shenzhou pin. Second place is going to receive a complete Series 3 set of Discovery pins. And now this includes the Klingon sarcophagus ship, Laurel, Dr. Culber, Ash Tyler, and Cole, Team Cole, baby. Team Cole for life. And our grand prize winner is going to win the first eight pins from the Fansets episode pin collection. So without further ado, let's listen in to our three winners. Hey, Bill and Dan. This is Mike Thurlow from New York City. And I first want to say I love Discovering Trek. Your podcast is great. The segments that you guys do on each episode is great. Uh, and I just love the, the dynamic between both you, Bill and Dan, uh, and your guest stars. I love the, the discussion and, and the sharing that you guys do. It's really great to hear all of that. And as someone who doesn't have people around him right now who are interested in Star Trek, you guys offer a great outlet for me to uh, experience and think about and, and, share the new Star Trek Discovery uh, episodes with. So thank you for that, number one. Number two, I'm excited because Star Trek is back on TV and I haven't felt this excited about it since Deep Space Nine. And uh, and I'm really a huge fan of the Stamets-Culber relationship as a gay guy. It's great to see representation like that on Star Trek. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that develop further. I love all the characters, actually. There's not one on there that doesn't excite me and doesn't seem real. So really excited about having Star Trek back on the on TV. And uh, the first chapter, awesome, all the way around. And I'm looking forward to Chapter 2 starting in hopefully about six or eight weeks. So thanks again for all you guys do. Excellent job. Congratulations to Mike Thurlow. You have just won the USS Discovery and the USS Shenzhou pin for your excellent submission. So uh, let's now uh, tee up our second place voicemail now. 
Hi, I'm Aline. Um, I wanted to share what I love about the first half of Star Trek Discovery of season one. And I, first off, my favorite thing was seeing Captain Giorgio. I love Michelle Yeoh and to see an Asian captain was incredible because I'm Asian American. So that was really exciting to see myself in a character. And after more episodes came out, more I get more reasons to love the show. I love Saru. I love all the characters. All, they were so engaging and heartfelt. And to see a modern Trek as it happens with modern special effects, it's so exciting and such a beautiful experience. You just can't blink when you're watching. Um, but I think what's so fun, too, is getting to engage with other fans. You know, listening to your podcast each week and just being in a new way to experience Star Trek that we've never been able to before. So this is my first Star Trek on TV live as an adult. All the other Star Treks came out when I was a kid. So I'm excited to see more. This is really fun and I'm here for it. I love it. Thanks. That is so great. Thank you so much, Lean Isabel, for your voicemail. You are going to receive the Series 3 set of Discovering Pins. And now... I wish we had a drum roll. Let's hear the grand prize winner selected at random. Hey, Bill and Dan, this is Debbie. Here's what I love most about Discovery, just having new Trek to watch again. I really, really love the appearance of Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd. As we watch more, I'm wondering what exactly is the advantage of the spore drive technology. Obviously, the ship can drop in anywhere at a moment's notice, but once it's there, it's just as vulnerable as any other starship, and you're not exactly jumping in and out in the midst of a battle. Those are my thoughts. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Bye. You know, Debbie Malsanti? Is that I, I I can't talk. Uh, uh, <laughs> Maltasanti, sorry. I, I know Debbie. Yes, yeah, we all know Debbie. Fantastic. Congratulations, yes. Debbie. And, uh, Congratulations for Dan not being able to talk, Debbie. I'm very sorry for that. But congratulations. You're going to be having a very happy holiday this year because she has just won the first eight pins from the exclusive Star Trek Discovery episode pin collection. And take our word for it, everyone. They are absolutely beautiful. Um, If you'd like to have your own pins and you don't have them yet, you can sign up for the entire collection or you can even order single episode pins from the first half of season one simply by going over to episodepins.com. Congratulations to all our winners. We'll be in touch with each of you so that you, we can get you your pins in the mail. We will have new and exciting giveaways all season long, so please keep listening for details. And, of course, many thanks to everyone who participated. And thanks also to Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. Gentlemen, anyone who has access to social media these days has seen all the comments. They've seen the positive. They've seen the negative. They've seen the extremely negative about this new chapter of Star Trek. Many people argue that it isn't Star Trek at all. And others counter that it is the most Star Trek series that we have ever seen. So, Bill, what about you? Is this Star- is Discovery Star Trek? What do you think? Um. Star Trek Discovery absolutely, 100%, unquestionably is Star Trek. You know, some time ago on Twitter, I said that if, if you didn't see the Star Trek in Discovery, it's probably because you don't want to. And I am, 
I'm so weary of gatekeeper fans who think that they get to decide what is and what is not Star Trek. So many people want to be experts on Gene's vision, and I'm using air quotes for that people can't see, and to tell us what Star Trek is. And, and they conveniently leave out the fact that he was a television producer just trying to get a show made in the 1960s. The series is exploring the human condition like no other series has in this franchise. And I think that absolutely makes it Star Trek in the finest traditions of the franchise. I completely understand that people enjoyed 25 total seasons of Berman era Trek. And that was different from the original series because it had to be. Television had changed and television production had changed. Just as it has now in the era of Star Trek Discovery. This show is grand and it's amazing. And I've said previously, it's the Trek I wanted, but also the one I didn't know I needed. And personally, I hope it has a very long, prosperous run. Very well said, man. Uh, yeah, um, I think we're going to be all in agreement. But John, uh, what do you think, man? Yay, nay, Star Trek, non-Star Trek. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I totally agree with, uh, with you, Bill. And um, look, here's the thing. Yeah, it, it's different. Yeah, it, it, it looks different. The production is different. Uh, it sounds different, although they sneak in those TOS sounds, which is really cool from time to time. Um, and it's Star Trek with a different backdrop. It's Star Trek at war. And that threw a lot of people off. But look, for as many fanboy stories that start out with some version of Star Trek at war, it's shocking to me that anyone would complain about that. Go on to a, a, a BBS, go on to a Facebook page, and, and and go back over the course of years. And uh, e even before the J.J. Abrams, before we really knew what those movies were about, people say, well, well, here's what they should do. Well, uh, it, it's this time during the Klingon War. And then somebody else will be like, no, 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 it, it, it's this time after Voyager, but they've been in this huge war. And this just constantly, constantly. So let's get over that, first of all. This is taking the most difficult thing you can put people through and using that as the backdrop for this particular slice of the Star Trek story. And it's not like it should be a surprise that those things happened in the overall Star Trek story, because they did. We, we all know it if we've kind of played along with the, the home version and tried to figure out what the timeline is and what happened when this is a thing that happened. Um, what's nice is that with Discovery, it hasn't been all one note since we started. So we get some heavy character stuff. We get some light, fun stuff. We get the, the mystery of what's going on. And we got the heavy, dark war story stuff as well. Um, and remember what I said earlier about having confidence that the writers know what they're doing. And they're looking at the way that modern TV is made. They're looking at the way that, that modern storytelling can grab and hold an audience. And, um, and if, part of that, if part of that means shaking things up a bit and uh, maybe ruffling the feathers of some of their audience at the same time, I'm all for that too. Because I would want to do that if I was in their position. I don't want to make it easy, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I don't want to go into a movie or a TV show 
knowing ahead of time the way it's going to turn out. Um, what I do want to do, particularly when we have the luxury of a show like Star Trek on TV, where we get to catch it week after week after week, um, is I, I want to get invested in the characters. And, and I want to wonder from week to week where they're going and, and, and what the outcomes will be. Not just one outcome, not just to wrap up the story, but what's happening on the journey for all these characters. Um, and while you're allowing me this luxury of uh, using your airwaves to rant and uh, get on my soapbox, <laughs> um, <laughs> like I, I'll do it again on Mission Log, believe me. Um, you know, th this is where uh, when we talk about is something Star Trek or not, it is something and I have this discussion with fans of other things that I'm into as well. Is it James Bond or not? Is it uh, go back to what Ronald D. Moore did? Is it Galactica or not? You know, any of these things. Um, first of all, arguments about canon are silly, asinine, fanboy BS. Um, this is where you get into that ugly area about arguing what is and what isn't. And, and Bill, you hit a word that I love to hate, which is gatekeeping. Yeah. It irritates the hell out of me that, that fans do that to other fans. I can't tell you the number of people I've met who discovered Star Trek because of the J.J. Abrams movies or, or maybe Discovery is their first Star Trek. And I think that is so cool. And I want to hear their story. I want to know what they love about those and then what their take is on the other Star Treks. You know, if and when they get around to them, they're not obligated. I'm, I'm not doing a course in Star Trek, you know. Well, actually, I kind of am. But anyway. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, you know, look, canon is a word for writers. And I kind of hate the word anyway because of the religious connotation. And uh, Star Trek is not a religion. It is not something handed down from on high. It's a piece of exciting and hopefully insightful fiction. Um, and, and I love that, that you know, Ken and I and you guys and, and so many people that we know get to get on the air week after week or in person whenever we can and just hash this stuff out. What, what did it mean? What, what did you think of this? What did this moment say? But, you know, we're not, we're not founding a religion around it. So it's not up to us to decide what canon is or is not or what elements of Star Trek are or are not canon. Canon is a tool for writers, and unless you're sitting in the writer's room, you should not give a crap about canon, <laughs> all right? Are the stories that they are telling intriguing? Do you love the characters? Do you want to know where they're headed? That's what I want out of Star Trek. And the other thing I want out of Star Trek is, um, uh, are you saying something about humanity? And... Look, I, I just saw uh, the new Star Wars last night, The Last Jedi. I'm kind of lukewarm about it. I, it. There are things that I loved. There are things that I didn't love. But I came out of there really reminding myself of, of that divide between Star Wars and Star Trek. I can love them both. But what I get out of them uh, is something very different. And what I get out of Star Trek is that reflective moment to say, wow, what, what do we as human beings on Earth now, what, what do we see ourselves as becoming? And what are our goals for the human race? 
Star Wars is a long time ago, galaxy far, far away. It's big themes, big mythological themes, and that's cool. Um, but the things that I'm seeing in Discovery now are exactly the things that I get excited about seeing in other Star Trek as well. Um, and I've said many times before, Star Trek is a big tent. It, it is welcoming to all types of storytelling, all types of characters, um, so I'm, I'm glad to see Star Trek that has shaken that up and, and added more texture to the layers that are already there. You know, I hate going last because I can't top these things. Every week I get, I get like, okay. Uh, you know, without a doubt, this is the truest sense of what Star Trek is all about. We're seeing the earliest incarnation of Starfleet and just like real life, it's not pretty. I talked about it before. We're not used to seeing star trek like this with war and conflict and deception uh, but it works for me because it's building the foundation of what we're used to seeing the show's taking issues of present day and it's putting a trek spin on it and it works and for me the perfect example of this show being true star trek is allowing us to see the acceptance of what a relationship can be like when we see stamets and culber together that's idic at its finest and it's about time and bravo to Discovery for being true Star Trek in every way, shape, and form. So, John, rumor has it that some other podcast out there likes to talk about whether or not episodes can stand the test of time. So let's very briefly ridiculous idea. <laughs> let's very briefly do it right here. You know, besides, you didn't think that I was going to let you go the whole show without at least some reference to Ken Ray and his awesome podcast and. <laughs> Stuff like that. I may even throw a Ken Ray impersonation in. So, John. Wait, you mean Ken and Ray? I, I love their work. They're awesome, as is the computer. Th those three people over there are just fantastic. Oh, but so uh, good. let's hear what you think about Discovery holding up this first half of the season because we would love to hear your voice. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, well, it, here's the thing. As much as I love where Discovery is headed and what I've seen of it so far and as invested I am uh, in the characters, whether or not it holds up, to say it at, at this stage of the game, it sort of depends on how you look at it. Hmm. I don't know that I can really answer that question right now. Now, from a production point of view, oh, man is every penny of that $8 million an episode on screen every second. So Star Trek has done that, uh, where I, I feel like, to me, Next Gen, from a production point of view, doesn't age great. Uh, I, I'm not as familiar with DS9. I think Voyager still looks, for the most part, pretty good. Enterprise looks great, because they had the luxury of more modern uh, production techniques and moving over to HD and having more advanced effects techniques. So that, that show actually ages really well, but it is the youngest of the shows until now. Um, and then to me, you know, TOS is sort of the, the reverse. TOS got old enough that it looked cool again. And that's just my own aesthetic. <laughs> so, um, but with, with Discovery, trying to decide if it holds up, from a production point of view, well, sure, because we're in it. We're, we're experiencing that right now, and, and so far, every frame of that show has looked great. The pacing has been incredible. I mm -hmm. love that in um, uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, that they took 
a, a, a tried and true and honestly kind of overused Star Trek trope. But man, through the editing, through the production techniques, they made it so fresh, yes, so new, and so exciting. And I could not wait to watch that one over and over again before we did our Mission Log uh, live episode about it. So from a production point of view, totally holding up. Mm -hmm. From a morals, meetings, messages point of view, it's really tough to say. I feel like they've built... I feel like they've built more complex characters than we've ever seen before. And there's something more relatable about a lot of these characters than we've ever seen before. We were talking about Tilly. And look, this is everything that that awkward character should have been up until now. And it just, you know, it took us 50 years to get that character. Um, So I hope that the farther we go with discovery that that characters like that and the the believability and relatability of those characters continues to hold up um so far so good but but we don't know where it's headed that's it, it, look people have asked me why aren't you guys doing mission log about discovery right now well we can't because they're just telling the first part of the story in their first season mm-hmm. season 1 is episode 1 yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now if it ends with a terrible moral meaning or message, then in 15 episodes, Ken and I get to scratch our heads and go, wow, it took 15 hours to give us some horrible message about who we are and where we're headed as humanity. I don't think we're going to end up there, but we won't really know uh, for, for another few weeks. That's very interesting. I like I like that spin on it. I took it a little bit differently. I, I thought of just these first nine episodes. And you're right. Not that I think they're going to do this, but if they screw up the last uh, six episodes and the whole arc just crashes and burns, then yeah, uh, it's certainly something that we'll uh, uh, rethink. But for me right now, uh, I think without a doubt it holds up. And just about every category you can think of, you talked about a lot of them, story, plot, messages, to me they hold up when looking at it at this first half of the season. And from a visual standpoint, man, there has just never been more amazing effects on televised Trek uh, than, than what we're seeing here with Discovery. It's just a work of art. Um, yeah. I think that this first half of season one has laid the groundwork for an amazing series. And I am very hopeful that in 25 years, when we're celebrating the anniversary of the launch of Discovery, People will agree with certainty and as much certainty as I say it holds up today. So, you know what, John? It's uh, It's been awesome. What can I say? Having you on the show has just been nothing short of spectacular. Bill and I can't thank you enough, and we look forward to having you on again. Um, and until that happens, though, I think uh, you've mentioned them a couple times, I think, but there are a few ways that people can follow you on those internets. And and Bill <laughs> mentioned earlier and a couple of other times we talked about a couple of other podcasts of yours. So shameless plug time, my friend. Where can oh, we find you online? Thank you. You know, uh, the best place right now, it's a one-stop shop, podcast.roddenberry.com. From there, you can find Mission Log. You can find Mission Log Live. You can find uh, Women at Warp and Priority One. And uh, and there's some new stuff cooking along that should be up there oh. very, very soon, I'm happy to say. Huh. 
Um, so yeah, podcast.rodberry.com is the place to go. And uh, if you want to reach out to us directly, um, mission well at Mission Log Pod on uh, Facebook and on Twitter, and then uh, me directly, DVD Geeks on uh, Twitter. I, I know DVDs is so. 1998 of me but um, <laughs> you can find me there so i'd uh, love to chat about trek and and other nerdy pop culture stuff uh, that i'm into like uh, oh i don't know how about the love boat oh love okay i'm gonna get myself in trouble i can't do that <laughs> <laughs> well john thank you so much uh we loved having you on the show and folks that's it for now uh we want to wish everyone listening a very happy holiday season We're going to be back on in just a few weeks. But until then, here are some words of wisdom from the late Captain Philippa Giorgio. Take good care, but more importantly, take good care of those in your care. And until next time, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.